Wednesday Night Wallop presents. Hello, this is Rylan, the computer boy. Thank you for joining. Rylan Turner's Morning Sports Report. So, the computer is crazy! Crazy, I say! fans rylan turner here for another episode of rylan's morning sports report and i'm joined by kyle joseph kyle how are you i'm doing good i'm excited to talk about this this is a subject that is sadly near and dear to my heart even though it is um it is amazing how something that causes me this much joy and pain also causes me this much dismay uh we're talking soccer today Yes. Football. Yes, we are talking. Yes, football. Uh, the FIFA World Cup is in session as we speak uh, over in Qatar. Uh, Kyle, there's there's a lot to get into. Number one, I am not the world's biggest soccer fan, so and I'm I'm getting there. I tell you, between Ted Lasso, Welcome to Wrexham, and all the other sports documentaries involving soccer, I might be into it by next summer. And it, it's it's happening quickly with the British sports for me. World Cup is a good time to get into into it. There's a lot of passion. There's a lot of when well, the actual games themselves. There's a lot of intrigue. Obviously, it the a lot of the world stops for a lot of these games. So it's very interesting to see who's made it, who hasn't, and talking about for the teams that have made it here, uh, how they're going to how we expect them to fare. And what surprises you might see along the way. But it's hard to talk about this World Cup and just talk about the on-the-field stuff. Yes, absolutely. Uh, let's get into the... I mean, I guess one of the... The, the story that I, I think um, w- we should really start with is is there is no beer being sold inside the arenas of the FIFA World Cup. And I, as a, a former beer fan... I mean, I'm still a beer fan, but... Uh, I believe that beer and soccer go hand in hand. They um, kind of do, and to the point where, and it's an interesting situation that we find ourselves in, because eight years ago, FIFA demanded that Brazil change a law in their books that would that had outlawed beer from being alcohol from being sold in stadiums because uh, FIFA has a longstanding partnership with Budweiser. And right. it's very interesting to see eight years later, the exact opposite happened, where Qatar basically dictated to FIFA, we're not selling beer in the stadiums and there's nothing you can do to make us do it. And then have that announcement come out a couple days before. I'm fascinated to know what Budweiser's reaction is going to be to all this. I know FIFA is scrambling to try to set up like the equivalent of you know, alcohol on the quad of, of the university. I don't know what the Qatar's equivalent of the quad is, but they're trying to do, like, you know, pavilions and different things to to say, oh, you can still get alcohol, but it's, 
Yeah, it's not going great. You can great. do it outside. Yeah, exactly. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just it's not what a lot of fans are going to be used to. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we have people from all over the world at this thing. Like, I have, I've tuned in. It's, we're in day three now, um, going into day four. And it, this is a two-week event, yes? Uh, it is a month. Oh, it's, it's a month? It's usually a little bit longer than a month, uh, usually uh, closer to two months, but they have compressed it because we're, and this is the other thing that's happening that's interesting, among, you know, all, all kinds of interesting stuff. This is, of course, happening in November and December, rather than the usual June, July, when the World Cup normally happens. Of course, that's the case because of the fact that it's in Qatar and we, if you tried to play soccer in June, July in Qatar, people would, would melt. <laughs> it's usually it's true. It's a, usually it's about um, between 30 and 35 days. This year, I think we're doing 28 or 29. So they've okay. compressed it a little bit. Okay. All right. So I'm learning things. I'm learning things. Uh, and this is what this show is all about, is teaching me about sports. So, Kyle, this was your idea to talk about the World Cup. Um, but before we talk about uh, this this year's World Cup, we do have to get into a bit of the politics involving FIFA and these decisions being made to host these uh, this event in, in places that, um, you know, you or I um, probably wouldn't host these things. So I have to put a thousand caveats and allegedly's around basically everything that I'm going to be saying going forward. But it's fair to say, based on the accusations that have been levied and the number of people who've been kicked out of FIFA since those accusations were levied, there were some bribes exchanged that allowed this to take place. This was a long time coming. We've known that this World Cup has been in Qatar quite a while. Um, and originally, as we, if we, we recall this, when this uh, bidding happened, this was in 2009. So this okay. is a long, long time ago when we actually put this together. They are, uh, the expectation was that this was going to be in the United States. But enough money exchanged hands that allowed this tournament to be put in Qatar. The problem with it being in Qatar, obviously, compared to the United States is that the number of stadiums the United States has that could host soccer events tomorrow is more than you would need for the tournament. And Qatar at the time had zero. I think their stadium in Doha still fell under the 40,000 capacity requirement, minimum requirement for a stadium to host a World Cup, and they needed eight. And so they built them. And building them was a problem because it involved a lot of slave labor and a lot of people dying over the course of the, the process of this. We don't have exact estimates, but it's in the thousands, which is too many. Yeah, yeah. Uh, mostly from Nepal, mostly, you know, brought into work, had their passports um, captured <laughs> and basically forced to work. Yeah, work themselves to death. And it's, it's a really horrible thing that happened and then we're on top of all of that the grand scope of this project was 
uh, wild. They aren't the final of the World Cup is happening in Lucille, Qatar. In 2009, when that bid came in, that city did not exist. They built a city to host the final of the World Cup. I don't know what the state of everything is in terms of the construction, how much they rush things. You know, they played a game match in the stadium already, and I mean, it didn't fall apart, so I guess we're, we're, we're going. But it's the amount of money that was involved in putting this together and the amount of money that exchanged hands that allowed this to put together was concerning. And I don't think that this is a, a thing that's gonna ha- going to happen again going forward, or a country like Qatar is going to be able to win the World Cup bid. But I you know, never seen ever with FIFA. FIFA is uh, corruption incorporated. Yeah, absolutely. There's I mean, while I have not really ever gravitated towards soccer in my uh, young sportsdom, I uh, I always knew that FIFA was trouble and that they 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 like to uh, you know dip their hands in the pockets of you know bad people and use their money in poor ways. And uh, yeah, it's always been a fairly known fact about uh, FIFA. With all that being said, though, Kyle, uh, we're here to talk about soccer, football. Here to talk about some football. Um, And the World Cup, much like what we discussed with the Olympics, is a time where the world comes together to celebrate in sport. And I think that that, while we do have political and and whatever things that go into all this, uh, is what we're really here for. Um, I I, want to talk about some soccer. So, Kyle... Why don't you talk to me about so far what's happened in the 2022 FIFA World Cup? I think it's it will work best to go group by group, talk about sure. what's taking place, and but then get into before that. Questions. Before that, uh, I do want to know who are the favorites to to win this all going in. So it is interesting that you say that because I can't remember a World Cup that has been more wide open in terms of the predictions going into it. Right. I would say the favorites coming in, the consensus seems to be Brazil is the favorite going into this year. When we get to Brazil's group, we can talk about the Brazilian team and why they are the favorite. But they they have a very, very strong team. There's no real weaknesses on it. It's, you know, their coach has been there since 2016, which is a rarity in international football is to have a coach uh, last more than one World Cup cycle. So it's it's not um there are some world cup coaches here who didn't go who didn't bring the team through qualifying. And yeah, so it's the exchange of that type of stuff is wild, but yeah, they're they're in a situation where I think Brazil's the consensus favorite. There are some other teams uh people are talking about in the same vein, Argentina, Portugal, uh, France, obviously, being the defending champions. Germany is never a team that you can necessarily count out. But the large, the majority of the predictions I've seen, or the largest minority, I suppose, for the victor is Brazil. Okay. As expected, t- teams like Brazil, Germany going into World Cups are often teams that we all look at like, yeah, they could do it. Yeah, I mean, and the thing about it is that, but what's interesting is that there's a lot of really strong teams coming into this that don't have that same buzz around them 
that I think could actually take this tournament by storm. It's very interesting because usually the team that comes into the World Cup that is the favorite is the reigning Euro champion. But the reigning Euro champion is not here. Italy, who won uh, Euro 2020, which actually took place in 2021, did not qualify for the World Cup. They missed out. So without Italy here, it is a little bit more open as to who the favorite might be and whether or not Italy would have been the favorite because they were a bit of a surprise winning that tournament uh, remains to be seen as well. Fair enough. All right, Kyle, group by group, let's talk about the World Cup. Group A is... So, as far as groups go, Group A is always the group that has the host country. And usually, when we're talking about the host country, it is a nation that is at least somewhat strong in football. Group A, obviously, was headed by uh, Russia in the last World Cup, who... They're an amazing team, did manage to make it into the playoffs, and obviously, for reasons that should be pretty clear, were not invited back into this one. Uh, Their qualifying run was ended early for political reasons. Yes. Um, Brazil hosted the World Cup prior to that. They made it to the semifinal, famously crashing out in the semifinals in a 7-1 drubbing uh, against Germany ended up winning that World Cup. And, of course, France are the defending champions coming back into this one. So Group A is usually has a strong team that is the host. In this case, Qatar is host. So because they are the host, Group A is a bit more open. There's uh, a clear favorite in Group A, and that is the Netherlands. Louis van Hall has his squad humming. There are some concerns about their star uh, scorer, Memphis Depay, uh, being a little bit injured. It's going to be a common theme because we're in the middle of the season for a lot of these players, is that some of them are going to be carrying some injury or carrying some wear coming into this tournament. But as far as things go, the Netherlands, I think they're the clear favorites to run away with this division. They're a very strong team, Um, a pretty young team, squad as well they've been bringing this group up to sort of um replace the heroes uh that we saw in the world cup in uh in 2014 uh they kind of missed a gener or this is kind of the the next generation of, of talent that is in this in this particular group um aside from them this group is pretty open ecuador is here they did beat Qatar 2-0, but they're among the South American clubs, probably the weakest one that's that's going to be here. But still have a chance to get through. They're not a they're no joke of a team. There's no bad teams in in uh, South America, obviously. Perhaps the strongest African team is here, and that is Senegal, led by some pretty strong players. In the international world, um, Gaia, Mendy, Ndai, like there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of uh, Edward Mendy being the, the goalkeeper for Chelsea. Um, there's a lot of good players on this team. This is probably, especially defensively, 
led by Khalidou Koulibaly, their captain, who is also a member of the Chelsea squad. This is probably defensively the strongest um, African squad that has been in the World Cup, and they've got a lot of expectations. The question is whether or not they're going to be able to live up with the, live up to them, and having already lost Netherlands, they now have to come back and perform strongly in their next two matches, and it's going to be an ask always, but I think if I'm looking at it myself, I do think Netherlands and Senegal are the teams to expect to go through. Okay. All right. Group B. Group B. Iran is happy to be here. Um, they took a 6-2 to two dr- just beating from England. I expect that they will take three losses and head home fairly quickly. There's going to be high expectations for them to try to draw, and they are defensively sound, but getting your hole punched for six goals is never going to be a reassuring experience, even (laughs) with a team as strong and quick as England is. This England squad, I think a lot of people are sleeping on. They were the finalists in Euro. They are young. They are incredibly talented. They're really fast. Uh, Bukayo Saka uh, was one of the goal scorers in that opening match. Uh, He had two goals in that match. He's only 21 years old. You look up and down the squad in terms of star scorers to supplement Harry Kane, who is their captain. Raheem Sterling, Marcus Rashford, uh, and then guys on the wing as well. They're deep, deep squad. And I expect that this England team might have a chance to break a long curse that has lived for England. Uh, They haven't won the World Cup since they hosted in 1960. So this might be the team that does, in fact, bring it home. But England has crashed out of World Cups in hilarious fashions in the times past. It's kind of a recurring tradition. So it wouldn't shock me if that is something that takes place again. This United States team is interesting. They're one that has some high expectations. But I think aside from the fact that they do have an absolute star in Christian Pulisic, who might be the strongest American player, um, at least American male player, And I can't remember one that was more impressive than he is um, playing for Chelsea. But the rest of the squad is a bit green, a bit young. A lot of guys who maybe a World Cup from now when the United States hosts it might be coming into into their prime. So... It's going to be tough for them. And it proved tough when they drew Wales. Gareth Bale, the captain of Wales, who uh, has been well, Wales' best player far and away his entire, basically since he's, you know, showed up for the team in his teens. Um, he scored the, the lone goal. He's now playing for Los Angeles and was part of their championship team uh, that just won the uh, title in the U.S. So coming off that success, it appears that Gareth Bale's in good form. And even though he's not playing in in, um, in Europe anymore as a star player, he's maybe that half step down from where he was at his peak playing for Real Madrid. 
he's still a very, very good player, and this Welsh team is going to go basically as far as he can tear, drag them. Interesting, interesting. Group C. Group C has been upended. This is a very tough group. Argentina was the heavy favorite coming into it and lost to far and away the weakest team. So a Lionel Messi penalty was not enough to keep Argentina um, beating Saudi Arabia. And now all of a sudden their tournament gets really hard. Mexico and Poland drew and Mexico and Poland are both good squads. Looking at Argentina's team to begin with, this is perhaps at 35 years old, this is Messi's probably last chance to find that World Cup title that has been the only thing really missing from his uh, his cabinet full of trophies, both individual and team. Multi-time Champions League winner, Ballon d'Or winner, um, you know, considered by some to be the greatest player maybe ever. Um, has hard, strong competition even within his own country for that, but a team that is a veteran squad with people like Angel de Maria, um, their goalkeeper. Um, I would expect that their starting goalkeeper would probably be uh, Arm- Armani, who is 36. De Maria is 34. This is an older side. This is a side that is really... Apollo Dybala is another strong striker. Uh, he's 29 as well. Um, there are some younger players who are going to be coming to help, but this is really feels like a last kick of the can for a golden generation of Argentine players. And if they can't get it done here, as it's starting to look like they might not be able to, it's going to be back to the drawing board for Argentina. Interesting. Mexico is... Coming into this tournament on a bit of a slump, and again, also an older squad, Ochoa, their longtime goalkeeper, is now 37. Guardado, their captain, is 36. Um, But there are some younger players coming along to sort of help this team uh, move forward. But this is another team that I expect uh, the golden generation might be coming for Mexico, but they have not arrived just yet. So this is a last kick of the can for a lot of top Mexican players. Uh, Raul Jimenez is um, Hector Moreno, uh, Hector Herrera, and Guardado, as I mentioned, their captain, who all have over 100 caps for their, their nation, which is pretty impressive to get to 100 games played uh, for your country, especially a country as strong as this Mexican squad is. But they're going to be challenging Poland for that spot, And now we're in a situation with Argentina already in trouble. This flips this group completely on its head. And now can Argentina find ways to beat Mexico, to beat Poland? You probably need to beat them both to get through if you're Argentina. That's no easy task. Uh, Poland is another team. Uh, Wojciech Sesany is one of the better goalies in the world. He's the starting goaltender for Juventus. And Robert Lewandowski is an absolute, even at 34, their captain, is still an absolute star scorer for Barcelona. 
um, 76 career goals for Poland internationally. The big question for Lewandowski is going to be, can Poland find a way to get him the ball? This has always been the question for Poland. Lewandowski's great. Can you get the ball to Lewandowski? And the answer for Poland typically has been not as much as they would like. But still a strong squad. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen here going forward. Now that Saudi Arabia is in the driver's seat, those are two tough games they have coming ahead of them, and I don't think Poland or Mexico is going to sleep on those teams. It's possible we might see Argentina crash out before we even make it to the knockout phase. You know what team Mexico needs? They need Danny Rojas. (laughs) Really, honestly... A star striker playing in in England would be a nice help for for uh, this Mexican team. They have a couple good forwards and some guys that they have high expectations for. Um, Alexis Vega is probably one that they have the highest expectations for at 24. But we'll see what happens. It's going to be a tough go for for Mexico. But uh, they've already got off to a not a bad start drawing Poland. Now they got to hold their own against Argentina and take care of business when they're playing Saudi Arabia. Yep. Group D is the last group that has played in advance of us talking about this. And things have gone kind of as expected. Big problem if we're talking about Denmark, the sort of second best team in this group is how much can we expect to get from Christian Eriksen, who, lest we forget, at that Euro tournament, had a famously had a cardiovascular event. And uh, basically, uh, yeah, or uh, yeah, he had a, went to cardiac arrest and had to be revived on the field, worried, we were worried. There's a lot of people worried that he wasn't going to make it. And now he's back playing football, which is incredible for him to be doing it at all. He's now playing for Manchester United. But how much can you expect from that guy who is coming back from, you know, still, you know, is playing matches, but has not returned to that same form? And the thing about this Danish team is a lot of stuff ran through Christian Eriksen. So the question is going to be how vital can he be to this Danish team in a group that has the defending champions? What do you say about France? Captained by Hugo Lloris, who is a goaltender, has been their star goaltender forever. Olivier Giroud, another uh, long-standing veteran on this team. They have some guys who have have been here before: Antoine Griezmann, uh, Raphael Varane. These are star guys who have been uh, on this side before. But it is a full-on youth movement in France, and that is led by Kylian Mbappe. Mbappe broke onto the scene as a 19-year-old at the last World Cup, winning France, uh, being part of the the squad that won the, the World Cup for France. Now at 23, he might be one of the best scorers in the world right now. And they took care of business against Australia, a 4-1 beating. 
My question is, who is slowing this French team down? Because once they get on the attack, they are hard to stop. And mentioning Australia and Tunisia, who are also in this group, these are two teams that do not have a lot of high expectations, but have caught teams by surprise before, both have in previous World Cups, particularly Tunisia. Australia, I think... We're in a situation where they've got some, a couple really young players that they have high expectations for, but this is a lot of some of the similar Australian players we have seen in tournaments past. Uh, their captain is Matthew Ryan, who is a goalkeeper um, at 30 years old. <sighs> expectations are kind of low for Australia right now. The Unfortunately, the Socceroos... Uh, are not quite in a place where they want to be. This is a team that I would think has knockout expectations, but I just don't see them getting there. I think Denmark's going to pull it off, but it is a tough ask. So, But uh, no question France is going through the next round. Fair enough. Now we get into the groups that have yet to play. Group B. For Costa Rica and Jamaica... Unfortunately, they drew a group with Spain and Germany. Unless you're beating one of those, uh, it's been nice knowing you. Costa Rica had a magical run at the 2014 World Cup where they got all the way to the quarterfinals, uh, largely on the back of their goalkeeper, Kaylor Navas. Now 35 years old, Kaylor Navas is still far and away the best player for Costa Rica, but this is a very defensive side. And to ask them to have to go out and probably score goals against Spain or Germany or both is going to be a lot to ask for. It's true. It's true. Japan is in a situation where I don't know. I think this might be one of the weaker Japanese sides to come forward. They do have a couple decent players who are playing over And, you know, they've got some players playing in Europe. Their captain, Maya Ishida, uh, is playing for Schalke. They've got um, a fairly solid um, midfielder in uh, Takumi Minamino, uh, who is a good player for Monaco. But this is a team that is on the build. And to ask them to try to beat Spain or Germany is going to be difficult. Germany. In times past, Germany has been a well-oiled defensive machine where the question was, can they actually score enough goals to win the tournament? Now the opposite sort of true. They still have Manuel Neuer, who even at 36, still might be the best goalkeeper in the world. Um, and tears for Marc-Andre Ter Stegen, who might be one of the top five goalies in the world, but also plays for a country that also, but plays for a country that has Manuel Neuer. <laughs> so he will enjoy a nice view from the bench. But Germany has the scoring chops now. Uh, whether it be... Uh, Havertz, whether it be Nabry, whether it be uh, some of their their uh, midfield uh, players like Leroy Sané, like Götze, um, who are and like Müller, 
who are scoring stars. They've got some young players who are up and coming who are very, very intriguing as well. Question is right now um, is question of cohesion. This is a German team that has not been playing up to expectations recently. Are we going to get them to be able to rise to the occasion this time? And they're going to have a tough test because in their group they have to play uh, Spain. That's their second match. Spain has an interesting problem of its own. Their coach is Luis Enrique, who is a man who we'll see this in football on occasion. He loves his system more than he loves the players that he's coaching. And his goal is to find people who are best fit his system. The question is, is his system good enough to overcome some of the top teams? We know Spain is going to be competitive with some of the best teams in the country in uh, in the tournament. They still have some very, very talented players. Rodri is a very good player for Manchester City. Um, Marata has been scoring a lot in his opportunities. Sergio Busquetas, their captain, uh, still very solid in what will be a very solid midfield. The big question for Spain is twofold. One, do they have the horses to finally put goals in the net? Can the young Ferran Torres uh, at 22 years old be a potential breakout player in this tournament? Or are they going to be playing a possession football that is not able to score the goals they need to get through? That's the big question for Spain is a question of scoring. Okay. Now we get to Group F where there is uh, some very local content. Let's start with Canada. Yeah, let's. Canada has not been in the World Cup since 1986. In a surprise move after some disaster, they they, uh, took a few beatings, let's say, in times past. In 2018, they appointed their women's coach, John Herdman, to be the coach of the men's team, which was a huge surprise and not something that a lot of people thought would turn out to be successful. Indeed, John Herdman has been far and away the best coach in Canada's history and is now coaching a golden generation of Canadians. The, the thing about this golden generation of Canadians, though, is that they're very young. Yeah. Um, there are some mainstays, uh, some veteran. There is some veteran presence, certainly. Uh, their captain is Atiba Hutchinson, who, uh, playing for the Turkish club Besiktas, still getting it done. Um, he will make it to his 100th game in this tournament, uh, played for Canada, which is incredible to see. At 39 years old, though, this is going to be his last international tournament. I'm glad he got to make it to a World Cup. Right. Similar for Milan Borhan, their 35-year-old goalkeeper. Uh, this is probably a, a first and final World Cup for him. Steven Vittoria, similarly uh, defender, um, 35 years old. We're probably talking about the last tournament for them. But Alfonso Davies is 22. Jonathan David, who is, emerges as a star scorer, is 22. Ismail Kone, who might be the breakout player for Canada in this tournament, is 20. Uh, Taihan Buchanan is 23. Um, Steven Eustachio, 
who has been a breakout star in the midfield, is 25. There are some very young, very talented, very quick players. And this Canada team loves to play fast. The question is, they're running into two squads in particular that are very solid, very uh, well-constructed, very uh, experienced European sides who have been through this song and dance a hundred times. And is Canada going to be able to catch either one of them by surprise and breakthrough? That remains to be seen. Their opening match is against Belgium. Belgium is very good. Kevin De Bruyne, their star midfielder, might be the best player in the world right now. He is an absolute star for Manchester City. He's not scoring as much this year as he is used to scoring from the midfield position, but he will be expected to do a lot for this this Belgian team. This For this Belgian side, this is going to be their last kick of the can for a golden generation. The names for anyone who has been familiar with watching these guys uh, for the last several World Cups are going to be familiar. Courtois, Alderveld, Vertonghen, Axel Witzel, Kevin De Bruyne, Romelu Lukaku, Eden Hazard, uh, Dries Mertens. They have been the backbone of what has been a very strong Belgian squad for the last few World Cups. And this is probably going to be the last one where a lot of them are going to be able to be at top form. And the question is, do they have the horses to actually pull it out and win it? Some of their players are coming into this with a little bit of injury trouble, too. Romelu Lukaku is going to miss the game against Canada. And despite the fact that he is not in top form this season, he is still the best scoring option that this team has. So that puts a lot of pressure on their captain, Eden Hazard, and on some players who may not, uh, some of their younger players may have to step up and break out in this tournament. They've got some guys in their early 20s who are going to be the Belgian stars of the future. Can they step up and still score the goals that this team needs to get through? Because Canada is not going to play slow for this team. Um, but Kevin De Bruyne, the only thing you have to be careful of is he can control a game by himself. And Canada, if they need to be careful of anything, they need to watch number seven and make sure he doesn't break them down. Okay. Similarly, it's the same story for Croatia. Croatia, four years ago, lost in the final to France. They made it all the way to the finals. They are captained by their star, Luka Modric, who at 37 is still a top, top midfielder in the world of football playing for Manchester or playing for Real Madrid. That is very impressive to be able to do that at that age. Uh, the question now is can he power through this tournament with an older Croatian side? Um, a lot. Some of the pieces are now gone from that the team that want, that was so successful um, four years ago, and the ones who are still here, like Perisic, like Kovacic, they're now four years older. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be able to maintain that same high level of performance 
and be able to get through this tournament in order uh, to beat two teams that are going to be gunning at them. Because let us not forget, this group has a fourth team, and it is Morocco. Morocco is an interesting team because they have some very, very strong players amidst uh, a squad that is maybe not going to wow you with any names, but there's two names that will definitely wow some people. Hakim Zayek is a star uh, attacking attacking midfielder or winger for Chelsea. He is going to be here as the uh, one of the top players for the Moroccan team, as well as their probably their best player, Akraf Hakimi, who at 24 is maybe one of the best defenders in the world. Um, playing for Paris Saint-Germain, now getting an opportunity to play for this Moroccan side. They are a team that can catch some play- people by surprise. Um, are they going to play out enough to score enough goals to get through? Uh, time will tell. I expect this team to play a bit more defensively, but if they're willing to break out and they have the horses that can do it, this is a team that could catch a team by surprise. In terms of predicting this group, it is almost impossible, but I'm going to employ a little bit of homerism. I think Belgium is going to be the class of the group, but I do think Canada can sneak through. Okay. All right. Some some Canadian love there. And, and this is a, the thing, too, is over the last few years in Canada, like, we've heard rumblings of this team. Yep. It's been it's been all over your sports centers and your and your and your other sports shows. Like we've we've heard talk about it and them being able to put themselves in a position to not only qualify for the World Cup but to you know potentially be a top of their uh, their group. That's a that's a big ask, but it's also something that I would think would be really exciting for the country. And the big thing about this Canadian side is getting to the World Cup was really the goal for Canada. All of this is now house money. Yes. In four years, Canada is going to be hosting some matches in the World Cup, a uh, World Cup that is co-hosted by the United States, Mexico, and Canada. And Canada, I think that is where we're going to expect Canada to sort of present the star team that they're hoping they will. Fair enough. <clears throat> Brazil is in another group that Brazil should cruise through. Uh, <laughs> Serbia is probably the strongest team that is here. Uh, Serbia is a team that has had success in past World Cups. Switzerland is a a pretty good team on a bit of a downswing right now. And Cameroon, uh, I don't know that this is peak Cameroon right now. Uh, This this Brazilian team, between Allison as their star goalkeeper, Danilo, Thiago Silva, Marquinhos... Danny Alves in the back. That's a lot of experience. A midfield that is going to include some combination of Casemiro, Lucas Paqueta, Fred, Fabinho, uh, who are all very, very good players. And that doesn't even get to the best part of the team, which is the scorers. If Kylian Mbappe isn't the best scorer in the world right now, then it's Neymar. And Neymar is here. He's 30. He's at the prime of his career playing for Paris Saint-Germain. And he finally has some support up front. The young players are here to play. 
uh, whether it be uh, Richarlison, whether it be Anthony, uh, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo. These are players who are... Um, Anthony is 22, as is Vinicius Jr. Rodrigo's 21, and they are playing um, roles for Real Madrid and Manchester United, who are top, top clubs, and finding success for them. They're going to have the opportunity. This Brazilian team is not only dangerous, but they are deep. Um, it would not shock me if they played play 11 completely different players in one of their random games. They are deep enough that they could pull that off. Brazil's going to be tough to beat in this tournament. That leads us to our final group. Port. Uh, this one's probably the most interesting one. Portugal is in a very similar situation to Argentina. This is the last hurrah of golden generation. And they've got some real gold in it. Lest we forget, Cristiano Ronaldo is still here. At 37, this is probably his last World Cup. And some of the players that he's played alongside for years, Rui Patricio, Pape, um, Danilo Pereira. They're starting to get into their 30s as well. Uh, Jean Moreo is... Um, getting up there he's 29 but there are some intriguing players along uh who are coming along the way Jao felix uh is looking like a very interesting young player bruno fernandez who may not be the biggest fan of cristiano ronaldo right now as ronaldo is the former manchester united player whereas bruno fernandez is very still very much on that team but if they can find a way to find some cohesion, a little bit of luck, Portugal might have a chance to go deep in this tournament. Do you think that any of the controversy with Ronaldo and Manchester United and the Pierce Morgan interview will play into any of his performance? I don't think so. Once he gets into the field, I don't think he's a guy who lets a lot of that stuff affect him. And he has been carrying controversy forever. I don't think this isn't an, a new experience for him. I, but, I, I, I'm not familiar with this controversy. So, but the big problem is he's 37, right? Can Portugal, and he's still very much the best player Portugal has. Can we expect 37 year old Ronaldo to perform at the level that they need in order to win this tournament? And that is still the goal, by the way. Portugal right. is still very much a team that believes they can win. A last gasp of golden generation is another thing that we can say. We've said it a few times. Uruguay. Um, very much Uruguay. Muslera is 36. Their captain, Diego Godin, is 36. Um, Luis Suarez is 35. Edison Cavani is 35. Martin Caceres uh, is 35. This is a... Uruguayan team that has risen Uruguay into one of the world powers, into the clear number three team in South America. Now this is probably the last time they're going to get an opportunity to play at a World Cup. The big question for me for Uruguay is, are some of these younger players going to start to break out and take their hold in this tournament and sort of show that Uruguay in the coming years is not going to be a team on the decline? 
history is a team that is going to go as far as some human uh, can take them. Uh, the 30-year-old midfielder is a star, star player for Tottenham. Um, the big question is, this Korean team, I don't know if they have enough horses to get past what is a pretty good group. There's no gimmies in this one. Mm-hmm. And Ghana is one of those teams that they may not be as strong as they have been in past tournaments, but they're a team you can never count out because they're always they're scrappy and they are difficult. They're difficult out. This is probably the hardest group to predict. I do think Portugal is going to go through, but if you're asking me to pick a second team, I don't know if Uruguay is going to quite be able to pull it off. Give me Ghana and a surprise. Okay. Okay. Kyle, before we get out of here, I do want you to, because I, I, I'm going to ask you now, uh, would you like to come back when the World Cup is wrapped up and uh, discuss the, the tournament? 100%. All right. Well, th- with that being said, this is part one of a two-part series of the World Cup. Um, Kyle, if you're going to predict the finals and the winner, who are they? Oh, boy. Okay. So let's go and make sure I don't get myself into trouble by uh, picking two teams who can't meet in the final. But I said Brazil is probably going to be the runaway favorite of their group. I think they're going to be uh, they're in Group G. I do think they're going to make the final. And I'm going to have them. I can't believe I'm saying these words. Give me England. It's coming home. England <laughs> over Brazil in the World Cup final. Okay. I'm, that's 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 an exciting World Cup final. I'm looking forward to it. I uh, I do appreciate you coming on and talking soccer. This is something that I didn't think I was ever going to do once I started, started this sports show was, was discuss soccer. But here we are. It's the World Cup. And uh, with all that being said, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter if it's still active and running. It's it's dying a slow death, but it's it's still there. Uh, at WN Wallop. On Instagram, we are just WN Wallop. On uh, Facebook, it's Wednesday Night Wallop. Look for myself and Kyle Joseph's name. Uh, if you want to find me personally on Twitter, it's at R-Y-A-M Sport Report. Like the show title. Kyle, where can they find you? At the legendary KJ, L-E-R-E-G-E-N-D-A-R-Y-K-J. All right. With all that being said, thank you so much for joining us this morning and have a good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Yeah. You've been listening to a Wallop Media podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Wallop Media. The hosts of our shows are Rylan, Kyle, and DK. You can find Rylan on Twitter at Rylan Wallop and Kyle on Twitter at Kyle Wallop. Production is by RJ Spearin. You can find his work at facebook.com slash spearkingco. Logo designs are by Maisie Mulder. You can find her work on her website, maisiemulderdesigns.com. Our podcasts are hosted by Acast. You can listen to them on the podcast catcher of your choice or on our website, shows.acast.com slash wallopmedia.